Economic Update, presented by Global Wealth Club's Stephen Pettith and Edward Black. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for week 81 economic update with our, we've got three special guests this week, so obviously me, because I'm awesome. Uh, we've got two, my left, your right, we've got Shaquille Latimer, and we've got a gate crasher, which we didn't announce to everyone. We've actually got Derek Whitaker also joining us today on the economic update, and obviously yours truly, Mr. Pettit. So welcome again, Steve. Thank you. So let's jump straight into this one because I know you're on a bit of a time frame today. Um, what I'll also quickly do, just for the people listening online, can you hear us okay? And in the spirit of Warren, type a Y if you can hear us. I find that hilariously does not every webinar. So um, while we wait for the wires to come through, so let's start. Thank you, Barbara. Um, we've got obviously the Australian economy. So let's start with housing, Stephen. So during the week, house prices have been announced that they're expecting them to go up by 5%. Rent is due to go up by 15%. And also the housing supply will reduce as demand increases. We also haven't got taken into account the 1.2 million or so immigrants that are due to come through as well. Then you throw on top of that, in WA uh, in particular, we've got the Aboriginal Heritage Act, which could also potentially make building even harder to for building developers to release more houses. Um, should we start with the special guest or you want to go first, Steve? Well, let's start with the special guest. No, I think we should start with Dave. <laughs> Because I'm still warming up, Steve. So I think we should start with you. I, I've already started. I've 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 decided to do something really unusual and beam in from the wine cellar, just because you know, well, you know, it comes as such a surprise to you that I like my red wine. That is unusual for you. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Look. Um, yeah. Everything that I'm looking at on the housing data, and that basically tells me that um, there is no bottom. Um, and, and crash coming in, as, as all these people say. Um, just basic economic supply and demand. Um, the more I'm travelling around, the more I'm seeing people living in vans. Um, you know, uh, we where was where was it the other the other weekend? We're out the back of the Gold Coast. Um, my garden. What's that? Sorry, sorry, it's all right. Is, is it running to anyone whose phone rings during one of these broadcasts? Oh, it's a carton. So Shaquille was offered up the first bottle of wine last week. It was there. <laughs> and, and it's a it's a carton of uh, Grange. You know, there's none left, uh, <laughs> Stephen. Remember, you and I drank it all. <laughs> yeah, and when I, we drank all the '97 stuff. When I, when I when I went back up there, I've actually cleaned them out of the 2004. Uh, as for people living in vans, I think that's just Warren, isn't it? <laughs> Well, isn't Warren just living living in a camper, a bit of bit of bit of canvas, uh, uh, and uh, and eating brownies? Um, but yeah, and and look, I'm seeing more of it, and it's not these people aren't living in vans and they're not living in um, in tents and all this sort of stuff because they can't afford a house. It's just they can't find one, um, and you know, I, I predominantly live you know, hotel to hotel and and that sort of stuff. And and I'm starting to see um, certain hotels uh, and apartment complexes. Look, it's school holidays here on the Gold Coast and I've got into an apartment complex in the middle of Broad Beach at a rate that is non-school holiday run. 
Right. So so there is the, the normal people that would come to the Gold Coast aren't coming. And a lot of it is it's because they just can't afford somewhere to live normally. So they're, they're running around trying to find their, their accommodation rather than holidays. And um, so housing is going to be a massive, massive problem you know, going forward. And everything that, that the current government and past governments and, and even future governments, what they're saying isn't going to help it. Um, things like the, the Heritage Act, the Aboriginal Heritage Act in, in WA, basically means no brownfield, um, infield development can happen. You know, imagine trying to, in WA now, um, you've got a 2,000 square metre block, you want to put a development on it, you're going to have to get this Aboriginal heritage consultant out, right, to go and have a look at it, then they're going to have to do a report, then they're going to have to send that to council. So instead of, instead of an application that takes two and a half years, it'll take four years. So developers will just go, oh, fuck it, I'm going to go somewhere else. But, but I do have to say, look, it's one of the few times that I'm going to defend the left. Heaven help me. Jesus. I know, I know, heaven help me. Um, if you lived in, in California, would you well, want that? Well, well, maybe you're, you've gone crazy or something or you're dating an actress or something like that. Or you're Derek. Yeah, <laughs> or you're, you know, you're on their drugs or something. Um, if you were, oh, thank you. Is that the wine? Yeah, no, okay, thank you. It's fresh lots, I suppose. Um, if, uh, if you were living in California, you would have to vote for the Democrats. You really would if you owned property because the fact of the matter is that if you own property, the last thing you want is small government to release all the regulations and make property more available and more affordable. The more regulations there are, the harder it is for new builds to occur, the more of a shortage there is in property and the more the property prices go up. So the thing with it is that whenever we talk about government policy, there ain't nothing for nothing, right? There's always a trade-off. So the more libertarian people like myself have to recognise that sometimes actually it's in our financial benefits to make things as difficult as possible for everybody else around us. Yeah, so if you're looking at it from a capitalist perspective, 100%, you, you'd be voting to make sure that, uh, and, and it's your self-interest, this is what happens with all people and, and all governments and everything and every time we vote, is self-interest gets in, in the way more than, than actual um, moral values and all that sort of stuff. Um, nine times out of ten when, you, when you're sitting on polling booths and that, and you actually ask people what's going on, in times like now, they'll vote for self-interest more than they'll vote for anything else. All right, so now that, now that I've recommended to our audience they vote for the Labor Party, support the Indigenous, uh, Indigenous Cultural uh, Heritage Act, I'll uh, show myself out there. Please do. The downside of those type of policies, though, is, okay, it's great for the, for the people that are owning homes, right, because their prices go up, restrict supply but then the downside is you can't live in those homes because you can't eat yeah, because- but, see, but this is exactly the problem right this is this is the issue because like for me obviously my age group i didn't have kids when i was with my former partner for 10 years through my 20s because i couldn't afford it i couldn't afford to have kids and give them the sort of lifestyle that that i wanted to give them or certainly the lifestyle that i had growing up um obviously i can afford to do that today but i'm 10 years older 
And I think you'll be seeing young people that are priced out of the market that just can't get their foot, you know, on the first run, the first uh, rung of the, of the property ladder. What do they do? But on the same token, we also have an aging population. And with that aging population, if we make, you know, real estate things like that cheaper, if we bring down the, the cost of living, what ends up happening? Thank you. Well, what ends up happening is that we, we end up hurting that other group. So there's a trade-off. And, and unfortunately, what we then see is we see governments do some of the most bizarre things that, to try to address this. So, for example, Australia has said that they're going to curtail foreign investment into real estate. So they've been doing that for ages. We'll, we'll take care of that, buddy. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, so we've seen New Zealand do it. New Zealand say we're going to curtail uh, foreign investment into the real estate market solely, solely for the purposes of, of cooling the market. It's a nice way of wording it. Another way of wording that is we are going to deliberately cause the property market in New Zealand to drop in value, which makes the whole yeah. country right now. I'm not one for government regulations and taxes, but if you simply wanted to make it more affordable for young people to get into homes, you'd be better off taxing homeowners and giving some sort of subsidy to people rather than dropping the prices of houses across the whole board. That just doesn't make sense. I'm not saying that what I said is a good idea, but it would be better than what they're suggesting, right? From an economic perspective, that that's that that is probably where you would end up. But from um from the then the other problem with that is with a country like Australia, especially a country like Australia. Our four big banks are all basically powered by property, right? Most of their, when you have a look at their balance sheets and that, it's mortgages, right? So if you drop the value, and and this and this is actually real life playing out in New Zealand now, as you just said, the banks now are scrambling to push off their their bonds and everything that are that are secured by mortgages and wrapped with mortgages. Because that hasn't gone away, by the way. Um, and the Australians are doing the same thing to try and get other people to take them on because they're diving. Uh, as so who, who, wants, in who wants to take that on? What's that? So who wants to take that on? What possible reason would you have for wanting to take that on? Well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to offload. If you have a look at the last sort of bond sales out of, out of certain countries, Europe's in the same boat. Um, I think I think the last sort of bond sales in, in Europe, only 40% of the bonds sold for most banks. So, they, so the people that are picking them up are the governments because they've got to try and keep the wheels going around. So it's it's quite an interesting an interesting scenario of what's actually happening out there. Well, it's an absurd uh, and, I'll correct the word interesting to absurd because what we have is we have Treasury Department... Yeah. Borrowing money, sending that that was borrowing money through bonds, sending it to the Federal Reserve or the central banks. They're going out and borrowing the money in the open market or just creating the money, inflating the currency. The banks then get in trouble and they take that inflated currency and then buy the bonds for the banks to keep the banks solvent. Okay, enough yeah. magic tricks. This has to come to a head at some point. Yeah, you know, this can't go on well, forever. That, that's what we've all been saying for the last 15 years. Yeah. You know. Yeah, since two thousand and well, actually, since a, since since a, uh, um, um, the mid nineties, when when this really really started to to grow up, it's got to come to a head sometime, um, and at some point in time, it will. 
Um, well, I think and- that the strength of the BRICS nations now and also the Middle East starting to make moves. I mean, I, I remember you and I talked about this, Stephen, probably about 15 years ago, you and I discussed this. And I said, I believe the Middle East will eventually in our lifetimes actually depeg from the US dollar. And we're beginning to see that. Right? The, the Saudis crossing their currency against the Chinese, which is a perfectly rational thing for them to do, right? We can't, we can't criticise them for it. If you were Saudi and you were China, that's exactly what you would do. So that leaves us, and especially those, those countries like ours, which are somewhat reliant on the strength of the US dollar and the US economy, leaves us in a really precarious position. A hundred percent. Saudi Arabia did an oil trade in rubles. Um, you know, so they're, they're not they're not just going and picking one country to do trading now. They're, they're now trading across multiple um, currencies across the BRICS nations. Yep. Um, and and God, shit, we've been watching this for yeah fifteen years. Uh, and when when you start to see um, and I think we will see it very shortly, a major European country start trading in non-US dollars. It's, it's well and truly over. And I can tell you now, Germany um, has been making those talks to buy um, its oil and stuff um, off Russia in the ruble. So, you know, because it needs that more than it needs anything else. Um, it needs Russian Russian energy. So Yeah, absolutely. I think I think most of Europe's in the same position. And you know, the renewable energy guys, um, they don't give a shit about actually doing stuff good for the planet because if they did, they would explore my my favorites, geothermal, hydropower, some level of nuclear and research into tidal power. They're not gonna do that because there's too much money in solar panels and wind farms. Mm-hmm. Even though those are bad technologies, that's what they're gonna push. Thorium reactors, mate, been around since the 1940s um, and could basically, you could roll them out tomorrow um, and, um, and, and you know, replace coal tomorrow and have the greenest power on the planet. Yeah. Um, but, Talking, you know, we, we, we all know it's, it's not about, um, um, uh, oh God, what am I saying, saving the planet. It's all about saving the wallets of certain billionaires. Right. So talking about coal and the amount of jobs in there, uh, we're just moving on to the budget now. So the latest budget shows that 140,000 people will lose their jobs. Uh, there are 300,000 jobs or more available. Unemployment is low and will stay that way for a long time. So moving from like the current energy production going to the thorium reactors and the other source of energy that Shaq was talking about, how's is there going to be enough jobs to sustain Australia and also the people trying to get into the housing market as well? Yeah, so it's all linked. Jo- jobs and housing um, is all linked because, and this is this is one of the other problems, is people have jobs now. And since all the backpackers were told to go home uh, and and a lot of the 457 visa guys went home during COVID as well, what, what's happened now is the Aussies that were working at the cafes and all that sort of stuff have been able to move up the rung and get into other jobs. Now we've got the bottom end, um, you know, the cafes, the the dark kitchens, and and all that sort of stuff that was that uh, relied on uh, those that couldn't get up the rung, or students, or backpackers, and all that sort of stuff. Um, we we don't have that big cohort. International students aren't coming back in the large numbers that they thought. 
backpackers are being restricted because the, the cost of to getting a working visa to Australia is astronomical. Um, someone said, I think it's 550, equivalent of 550 US dollars. Canada has dropped theirs to 15. <laughs> so if you're looking, if you're looking for a visa, right, and you're a backpacker, where are you going to go? You're going to go where it's cheap. Most of Europe, the visa cost for working visas in Europe, 50 bucks. Right? We're pricing ourselves out of the market for the people that we actually need. So, and I actually think that most of most of the job losses that the budget's predicting and the government's predicting um, is more to do with their their algos and how that how they run their forecasts for inflation because um, the Reserve Bank in that relies on. Um, on slowing the economy, which normally increases job losses. So if government wants to report that everything it's doing is working, the metric that that Treasury will be working on is the number of jobs that have been lost in the economy. It's, it's asked backwards, but that's how governments work. So they'll be predicting that, yeah, there's 140,000 people over the next two or three years going to lose their jobs. But we all know that the, the amount of jobs, so the open jobs was about 300,000 um, end of last month. They're predicting end of this month the open jobs will be higher because there's actually more need in the economy. Um, so it's it's quite a, a weird situation that we've got um, that we just don't have. We've got this wedge that's going backwards between you know, what the government's saying and, and what is actually happening in the, in the marketplace. I can tell you out there, every entrepreneur, every every runner, manager of a small business I talk to, they all say the same thing. Can't get workers. Or you get workers that just don't want to work because they're so used to sitting on COVID um, benefits at home. Um, was it 1500 bucks a fortnight or whatever it was? I was insane. So especially when you got a couple of kids. Um do you think the other reason why backpackers and, and the lower, less skilled workers aren't coming to Australia is just because the housing market at the moment is so inflated and the rents are so high, high that they just can't find places to stay like in Australia? Um, no, there, there is a lot of student housing available. Right, There, there is a lot of housing available in, in that market. Um, mm. here, here on the Gold Coast, there is a lot of student housing available, but it is tailored at the student market. Right, so most of those properties can't house families because they're they the way that they're they're designed and all that sort of stuff. Now, could the people and some people are doing it. You know, we've got the house with eight bedrooms in it that was a student house. Uh, they're starting to go well. Maybe I open it up to young couples or couples that that are looking for you know three four month uh, stay accommodation until they can find other other avenues. That that's that's a, uh, an option, and, and that is slowly happening in some places. But it doesn't uh, make sense. Look at the place that we've got, Stephen, in Sydney. Yeah. I've got a granny flat, right? It's a two-bedroom. It's a, the, you know what? The granny flat wouldn't, wouldn't be half the size of the wine cellar I'm in right now. Okay. Yeah. The rent has just gone up from $280 is what, what it was a few years ago, and then it was at $350 during COVID. We are now charging $480 for that. Mm. The main yeah. house it's attached to... 
the six bedroom, three bathroom house that's attached to is at 700, right? And we've only yeah. just put that up. It was at 600. We've only just put that up because we've included the bills, the, the rent and the, and the uh, sorry, the, the electricity and the uh, gardening in it. So it's not much of a difference what it was. So actually, if we were to to rent out the main house to two or three different groups of people, each, you know, somebody in each bedroom or something, we would be getting a much better yield than renting it out to a family. Exactly. People aren't going to want to do it. Why would you do that? I've got a friend of mine. Um, she she um, lives here on the Gold Coast, and that's her specialty, is finding houses, splitting them up for student accommodation or for worker accommodation in rural areas. So places that she normally gets, you know, three, four hundred a week for, she's getting twelve hundred a week for. Yep. So why wouldn't she? All right. And and a lot of and a lot of councils who are going, oh, you can't do that. Well, basically, yeah, you can, because you get one person that 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 you give the the rent away for half price to look after the house and hold the lease, right? Then he just puts roommates in. That's that. That's how they get around it and how they do it. And my God, you know, you can make a lot of money renting out your rooms um, to to people that that want them. Well, from a personal point of view, when I first met my wife, that's how we survived for about five years. What, room tour? Yeah, no, no, she lived with me. We had a five-bedroom house, and to cover all our bills, but she was still on a student visa, um, we rented out the four other bedrooms, and we didn't pay rent, we didn't pay water, power, anything. Our rent from yeah. the bedrooms covered absolutely everything because she wasn't allowed to work more than 20 hours a week, so that's how we got by. Right, so, that's a good way to pay off a, yeah. pay off a very young yeah. couple but that's the thing like also we if, have no kids. if you're a, if you're a young couple who, who've got kids and you're you know you're looking for a four bedroom two bathroom house or something uh you know you're not going to have great chances of getting it that's what i said before at the beginning of the show there ain't nothing for nothing there's always a trade-off mm. so you look after the students it comes at the cost of young families look after the young families it's going to come at the cost of people that are on fixed incomes on pensions and you know you're going to hurt the students mm. and look at western australia for example we've got a thirty thousand person waiting list for people to go onto community housing. And these aren't people that just don't want to work because they can't be bothered. This is our older population that have retired that don't have enough money to, to be able to afford a place. So New South Wales, I think it's like 90 odd thousand. Yeah, but Western Australia has got has got a population of 1.4 million. New South Wales has a population of 7 million. So the fact oh, is yeah. like New South Wales is only three times higher in their waiting list, but they've got you know, five times uh, the size of the population. Western Australia is failing really badly on this. They're failing with the healthcare system. And Western Australia has made a mess. Liberals and Labor have made a mess of Western Australia for years. Uh, and, and look, I, th- I suspect Queensland's the same, but you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on that. Oh, correct Queensland's case. Yeah. You know, so, um, it, so some of it is, you know, it's just that some of our towns here don't even have the basic services um, because the doctors and nurses are going to Victoria uh, where they're getting paid three times as much, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, we've we got doctors up here getting, uh, and it sounds a lot, they, they're getting 65 and 70 bucks an hour. But in Victoria, yeah, they're getting a doctor. Yeah, for they're getting 120 and 130. How would you get a doctor for 60 or 70 bucks an hour? I find that silly because in Geraldton, a handyman's $150 an hour. Yeah, yeah I know. But, but that's yeah. what the government rates are. Yeah. So. Um, $70 an hour is outrageous for a doctor. That is so low. That's that's absurd. Yeah, yeah well, well that, that, that's what, they, that's what they, they, they're complaining about. It is low. 
but they're going yeah. to Victoria where they, where they can get 120, 130, 140 plus penalties, plus, 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 plus. So, we, so Queensland's losing um, all their GPs and all that sort of stuff because they're going to where they make money. And you can't blame them. So talking about money uh, and also business, good point too because we've got Derek here as well. Uh, I want to move on to the markets and I am just conscious of the time because I know you've got another webinar after this. So yes. uh, brokers are saying that there's not a lot of volume. Uh, so IPOs are also down. So I'm going to throw this one over to Derek. Who's Yeah, throw it over to Derek. I'd love to get well, his review. I think the, the, the interesting news this morning that I saw was that um, BlackRock are buying up big on Bitcoin uh, at the moment. And a lot of people are really interested in that because they want to launch their own ETF exchange traded funds for the, those who don't know that acronym, um, which means they also want to, in this one, it's a little bit different. They also want to be the custodian of Bitcoin. Um, so it's really, it's fascinating because five years ago, there was a, a measurement in terms of how crypto performed in relation to how the stock market performed. Uh, we've been watching this merging as more ETFs come onto the market, these kind of products um, where they're now starting to correlate more because bigger money is pumping that price when you bring in your industry funds, your hedge funds and that sort of stuff. So that's the, the, the latest that I've seen in that space, um, which is quite fascinating because, of course, is it actually private? How private is it? Now you've got hedge funds getting into that. And of course, it's taken a lot of regulation and the SEC was locking, knocking back a lot of the applications, even from firms like Vanguard. Um, but now um, BlackRock are, are doing that. And I think the custodians are going to do it through Coinbase. So that's the latest, greatest that I've seen on, on the, the market's conditions. And it's going to be an interesting space to watch. Is this yeah. an indication that cryptocurrencies are finally being recognised as a serious investment no. strategy? Or? No, of course not. Let me just give a round of applause, a well-deserved round of applause to BlackRock, okay, because you really do. When it comes to utter bullshit corruption and and manipulation of, of world affairs, BlackRock, you must take your hat off and stand in awe of what they're able to do. Well, I think it's more about so, control, this move. Well, yeah. So they have they have a market. The, the other the other thing you gotta remember is BlackRock will underpin the the, the US um Biden's bucks. Absolutely. Now That's BlackRock has BlackRock has a market cap of $100 billion. That's all the BlackRock's worth as a company. They have trillions of dollars in assets, okay? And what they what they are able to do is by them controlling these assets on our behalf, right, because if you've got a super fund in this country, chances are some of your super money is somehow sitting with BlackRock, okay? If, you, if you've got money there, do you have any real say? Of course not. But those guys are able to vote on your behalf. They're able to control these companies with the ESG stuff that they're doing, et cetera. So this big buying that they're doing with Bitcoin, it's not because BlackRock has decided, oh, look, digital currency is the way to go. Crypto is the way to go. No, what they've said is, okay, there's, there's interest here. We'll set something up and now they will have an oversized influence over that area of the economy. Yeah. Okay, that's all this yeah. is. I, I don't think that that means that that crypto is mature now and it's a great investment. I think it means that uh, that BlackRock goes, we don't want too much power going away from us. Let's jump into this. And please remember that it's not BlackRock's money that they're spending to buy these Bitcoins. No. It's other people's money. And they're doing it, it with single it, family. Right? They're, they're, if, you, if you watch BlackRock, BlackRock is, is 
You know, if a taxi driver tells you to buy something, normally sell it. Um, and, and BlackRock is the same thing. So if BlackRock wants control of something or if the government says to them, you know, go out and get control of it, they're the largest holder of single-family homes in the US now. Oh, and, and in, I think most of central London property uh, is yes. owned as well. Um, and and Macquarie mean, is doing the same thing here in Australia. Yep. Right? So so they, these things are down. And I was talking to a, a broker earlier today um, who basically all they do is IPOs, right? They're running around trying to find something that they can get get depth in, right? And they're just having all sorts of trouble. I think the um, the ASX is, is down to it'll do probably 40 IPOs this year, down from 300. Um, and in the States, it's it's about the same. The, the, it's way, way down on the number of IPOs that will actually happen. So all these guys that have got cash, because there's still a lot of cash floating around um, with, you know, all the bond sales and all that sort of stuff, uh, and governments put, put the money into the markets. They don't put it uh, anywhere else. So they, they're actually running around trying to find... Um, assets to buy. So, you know, BlackRock comes up and goes, well, hey, we can control the, the Bitcoin market. We can control the single-family home market. Um, and and the, the, the same thing will happen here in Australia. You know, the big guys will soak up the cash and go, well, we can control this market, control that market, control that market. So, while the mum and dads um, are running around selling, you know, which they always do. It, it's ridiculous. So as stuff tanks, Mum and dad sell into the fear rather than buying. Yeah. Well, yeah, but to be but to be fair though, you and I you and I know this. If you remember the building that was next door to us in one of our early meetings, I won't say where that meeting was. Yeah. And I said, "Who owns that building?" And you said, "It was Goldman Sachs." I went, what "The hell do they own that for? It's a piece of shit, right?" But it was Goldman Sachs that owned it. So, look, to be fair, it's not. I think that that you know, mums and dads don't want to buy, it's that they can't because they can't get credit. They can't get access to the money, right? You and I, if we yeah. go out to the market and say, look, we want to borrow $500 million or $100 million, whatever it is, we'll, we'll get that money really easily. But if, you know, most people in our audience were to go to the bank and say, can I have $500,000, the bank would just laugh at it, right? So, And that's the problem because it's not that they don't want to, it's that they can't. And then they find themselves over leveraged. They find themselves in a falling market. They find themselves in a situation where their mortgage payment is substantially more than what their rent would be if the property market starts to, to slide like it did in the 80s. And they go, you know what? I'm out of here. Because they're desperate just to make ends meet for right now. Even though they probably know it's not the best financial decision over the long term, they're desperate for right now. And then along comes government and says, well, we'll give you a subsidy, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. And the whole cycle just keeps repeating. And it's not like this is new. We've seen this in various iterations of this for decades, oh. decades and decades. You know, um, so 2018, 2012, 2008, 2000, uh, 2000, 2001, 98, 96. You know, every time there is one of these sort of blips, the same thing happens and happens and happens. And then everyone turns around and says, oh, the rich get richer. Well, yeah, the rich do get richer because they can get liquidity and they can get access to capital and all that sort of stuff. But the mum and dads of the world also don't do themselves any favour when they can, can most of them, 
I'm not saying all. I'm saying most of them can actually just sit and wait, mm. right? Because time in, in, in a lot of this sort of stuff, uh, or take the Warren Buffett approach, you know, his, his best time to sell is never, right? Try and hold it because the, 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 over time, if you use the, um, uh, the, the markets, for instance, they are up. You know, you know, since 1987 to now, um, they're, they're up. But people trade in a smaller time frame, um, and that because well, yeah. I mean, what's, what's the yeah. counter to uh, to the to the Canadians, which is hey, in the long run, we're all dead. I don't want to sit here for the next 25 years because I know theoretically I'm going to double my money because I'm almost 40 now. I don't want to wait till I'm 65. To double my money, I want to make my money right now. If I can't make my money here, I'm going to do something more risky with it. Yeah, I, I, but that's I but, more things. But, but that's you and I, Shaq. Where we've got a different risk profile. But for the average punter out there, right? Um, and and it's just simple math. If they just kept putting stuff away, right? Um, pay the old pay yourself first routine. Pay put yourself, um, you know, paid yourself first. Put it into a you know, even just a fucking index bond uh, or an index play uh, over their life, working lifetime, they would be better off. Um, but they don't because it's it's uh, human nature to want to be in and out doing stuff, thinking that you've got to be active. Um, you, might and- get a, uh, you might get a giggle, about, a giggle out of this, uh, Stephen. You know what I'm like and you know what I was like in my 20s. Um, where I'd come up with the fandangle ideas, where I was absolutely 100% correct. But, so I'll give you one example. So I was always against the real estate guys because the things that they used to say, I thought just didn't make a lot of sense, especially back in those days. But I used to say, okay, look, if what you want to do is you want a negative gear and you you want to, you know, you get the deduction on interest because of the long-term capital growth, why don't you replicate that same thing with a zero coupon bond? Because Macquarie mm-hmm. is, Macquarie would actually lend you the money, so you'd sacrifice all your income, put it into a zero coupon bond. You get the interest deduction against the rest of your income. So hey, you're not paying any taxes at all, and you get long term capital gains. Now, for some reason, I can't imagine why nobody was interested in buying that product from me. I was absolutely correct though, wasn't I? But this I'm is the problem: is you're not going to be able to convince people of these really complex structures because they don't understand them. There's not a lot of media coverage about them. So really simple concepts such as deducting interest on your investment property against your income and amortizing the the, the value of the building structure against your income. People get that because it's been talked about for decades. But if you try and talk about that in relation to an installment warrant, for example, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard work. That's why the banks don't really push them. It's a very lucrative product for the banks but they don't really push it because it's so hard to get people there, let alone if you were to try to take them and put them into something more complex that someone like myself would uh, or you and I would engineer. It's just impossible to explain to people. So and and that's, why, that's why a lot of these products go to the family offices. That Their, 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 their management teams are yeah. run by people out of the industry. That the actual, the actual family themselves wouldn't have a clue where their no, money is. But that's right, but the family offices, the people that qualify to be looked after by family offices or by asset managers, for example, they're not your typical mum and dad. This is where the family is. You've got those two 25-year-old kids that have done everything right. 
They, they didn't do drugs at school. They didn't drink until they were 18. And even then they only had one on their 18th birthday. You know, they got married early. They're looking to have some children. They've gone to university. They finished top of their class and they can't afford it. And then when they do finally save up enough to get one of the government subsidised uh, programs to buy your own house, like Keystart or something like that in Western Australia, I'm not sure what it is in Queensland, you know, they finally get in and they're just there and they're kind of paying a little bit more in mortgage what they were renting, but, you know, they, they feel like they're getting somewhere. How does, how does that young couple, when they get to 30 and they really want to have kids, how does that young couple get ahead? And they're not going to qualify for the sophisticated advice. They're not going to qualify for family officers. Asset managers aren't going to be interested in them. And this is the problem. It just it makes it so much harder for the typical Australian family to get ahead. I th- look, I'm yeah. not in that position anymore, but I know how hard it was to climb out of that. And for me, actually, how I climbed out of it was I left the country. That's how I climbed out of that, of that mm-hmm. position. So you know, it breaks my heart to see that that's still going on now. Yeah. So for and the people who are listening, I uh, just want to make say for the people who are listening and they do need to learn how to break that cycle, um, please email support at globalwealthhub.com uh, and one of our consultants can talk to you about what you guys need to do or what level of education that can help you understand what's going on. Because I have to say, as someone who works at GWC, there's a few things that I haven't even learned about yet that you're talking about. So I'll have to personally go through, re-listen to these videos to find out what they are. But, so, just, but just to... Uh, Sorry, and, and, and Travis, there's stuff that, that Shaq and I and, and Derek would, would deal in that we wouldn't even bring up here because it's just so far out from, from the main people that are here. But just on that, let me let me say that even those of us that are, are more, say, accomplished or more knowledgeable in these fields, right, um, I've spent nights with Stephen um, in person, you know, have a few glasses of wine and, we, we get talking and he'll tell me something or he'll, he'll talk about some investment and I actually won't know what he's talking about. He'll have to explain it to me. I mean, obviously I'll learn it, but I'll understand it much more quickly, mm. but it'll be something that I haven't actually heard of or I'm not, not mm. sure about. Um, and I remember one time that I was sitting there with him and I said, I've got this idea. I'm going to wait till I won't tell them what the idea was, but I'm sure you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. So I've got this idea and I want to run it past you. And he, mm. and he went, hang on, you're going to do what? And I, and I broke it right down. And he just looked at me and went, wow, that's really fucking good. You're really, really <laughs> clever. But that's the thing. Don't ever feel intimidated because we all learn off I, each other all the time. And I'll, I'll say this, you know, having worked in the finance industry, not a week would go by where I wouldn't learn something new and still learning. You've got a student for life in this. So don't be intimidated by yeah. the jargon or anything you haven't heard. It's just... It's a rabbit warren when you get down in this game. Make sure you ask. Is that the only way you don't learn? Yeah. Um, also, yeah. uh, in one of Warren's webinars uh, that I first was with GWC, I think it was the Sovereign Individual, which is going to be rehashed again. So the details are on the website. Um, he actually talked, spoke about having a really good brains trust. Like if there's a, a section of the finance you're not good with, get in contact, have a mentor in that area that is better than you. So if you're not good at bookkeeping, get yourself a bookkeeper. If you're not good at accounting, get yourself an accountant. So you don't have to do everything yourself. So that's a big lesson that I learned from that one. So I think the other lesson too is realise that um, like my students, when they go through our courses and stuff like that, they'll they'll come out and they'll know more than the person uh, behind the, the bank, you know, that they have to educate the banker on how to how they want things set up, um, which is really, really fun. Or even uh, when it comes to trading, that particular thing, they'll know more than the financial planner when it comes to the actual 
precise how to put the trades on and this sort of stuff um, that the financial planner won't. And I think it's when you get that kind of empowerment that you you start to just build on it and build on it and build on it and your confidence grows as you begin to discover that. So, yeah. So um, if you do need more help with that, make sure you do reach out to the team at support at globalwealthclub.com. Um, I am conscious of the time, so I do want to jump into the global economy. So my personal favourite time of all these videos is actually the Trump watch. Uh, so Trump polls are steady at 52 to 53%. Supporters and donations are growing still. So yeah. someone who's a- oh, mate, <laughs> mate, money's falling out of the out of the um, um, out of the sky for him. Um, it, it actually looks like over the last week, the Santas may have hit a wall um, mm-hmm. because um, what a lot of people are actually um, starting to realise, and some of the feedback I'm getting is some of the stuff that I've actually been relaying is. People think DeSantis should run next time, so in 2028, not not now. Uh, get get another four years of um, um, outside of um, uh, outside of Florida. The biggest problem that DeSantis is going to have is he's never done anything on the national scale. So uh, the good old neocons in the swamp uh, up in in uh, in DC will just eat him alive. Uh, same that happened with Trump the, the first time around, Trump's first two years. Um, he struggled against, you know, against defeating the swamp. Did a really good job of it, but he's a really strong character. So um, the support is growing behind Trump in a massive, massive, massive way. Um, it's, um, it's really strong and stable at, at 52 53%. Some of the polls have him as high as 60 60%. Now, this is GOP primaries, so we're not talking national. We're talking um, GOP uh, people that, that identify as Republicans and, and voting that way. Um, so it is still his to lose. Um, there, there's talk now that even if he gets, um, say, say one of these indictments, um, he actually gets through, gets found guilty, spends some time behind bars, Um that that may only make him lose one or two percent. I actually think stronger. I think that would actually. I, 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 yeah. my, my personal belief is it'll be stronger as well. Yeah. Is is that um, that if they put him behind bars, he'll win the Democrat undecideds. They'll make a murder of him. So let yep. me let me just say um, let me just say on that I think you're right with with DeSantis. However, if DeSantis doesn't endorse Trump, it's going to be a really bad move for DeSantis. And if oh. Trump didn't get the nominee, it'd be really bad. And I'm going to throw a red herring out there. Okay, there's talk off. Well, would Trump go and be a third party candidate in the event that he didn't get the uh, the GOP nominee? Yeah, I think I think he probably would because it's Trump that we're talking about. But I'll tell you what, could you imagine a Trump RFK ticket? Oh, yeah. Just imagine that. And if RFK doesn't get that nomination and links up with Trump, mm. that's a powerful ticket because I'll tell you, if there's ever been a Democrat that, or if there has in recent times been a Democrat that I could get behind personally if I was American, it's RFK. Mm. So... You know, I, I think those two would just be an absolute powerhouse. And this talk about, oh, well, maybe we'll put Nikki Haley in there and all this sort of stuff. Well, you know, I, I look, why? Why, why, why are you putting that 
So you wanted to counter Kamala Harris? Nobody likes Kamala Harris. So, so, so this, this is the problem with, with, and nearly it's politics in a, in a lot of places like America, is women don't do well. Um, well, hang on. I bet you different. Look at South Dakota. Christy yeah, Nyman's. They, they don't do well at, at, at a very high federal level, right? And take, take my group of friends in the U.S., all their wives, right, and all the good women I know over there all say the same thing. I don't want to vote for a bitch with, with balls. And to survive in the in the D.C. swamp, my God, you've got to be. At a state level, different story. Mm-hmm. States states do very well with women. And if you have a look at, at the, some of the states that have, have women governors, they've actually done very well. But when you get to the D.C. level, for some reason, women just don't do that well, and um, and and you know, it's a weird dynamic of what happens at the federal level. Um, now, would throwing a Kerry Lake or a Nikki Haley or something like that as running mate for Trump, yeah, is it is it going to add enough points to to really move the needle? I don't think so. But adding well, a Sanders or, or an RFK or something like that. That moves the needle. So answer Ada's question there, look, Carrie Lake on Trump's ticket, I don't think that had ever happened, and I think that would be an awful thing to do because I actually personally think that, that I mean, obviously there were some serious issues with Arizona, but, um, and Maricopa County especially, Katie Hobbs, just from the perspective of being above reproach, should have said, I'm in this election with this with against Carrie Lake. I shouldn't also be in charge of the election, so I'm going to step aside. For her to actually be in charge, and yeah. then the Maricopa thing happened and all that. But Carrie Lake, I actually don't think she's a particularly good candidate, and I think she would hurt Trump by being there because I don't think that she is likable across the spectrum. She's likable to us, but she, I don't think she's particularly likable to everybody else. Nikki Haley is a little bit more moderate. I'd love to see someone like Christy Nam. She hasn't. She, she's not interested at the moment in in federal politics. I'd love to see someone like her because you like her. You can't help but like her. There's a, there's a number of others around the country where you can't help but like them. Um, but yeah, I don't think Carrie Lake would, would be very good at all. Uh, and I think that the big wild card in this election is going to be RFK and how much he does. You know how much support he gets amongst the DRC, DNC. So not yeah. the DRC. So, the so, yeah, the, the, the DNC. Um, you, you've got, um, so RFK will take some RNC, never never Trumpers, uh, because they, they won't, won't vote for anyone other. Um, and there is a growing, growing, huge divide in the DNC over uh, Biden and um, Kamala Harris but the, as one Democrat friend of mine said to me, he said, if we dump Biden, we get Harris and we're really fucked. Yeah, but that's not really true. If 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 they went to the primaries, if Biden quit, you get Harris. But yes. if you go if, if you go to the primaries and then Biden doesn't get the nomination, which is an extremely rare occurrence. So that doesn't happen that a single president doesn't get the, the, the nomination. But if it did happen, it wouldn't be a sure thing that, that that Kamala Harris would be in there. I don't think that she'd probably even get nominated at all. I think it'd be the same as the last campaign. Um, oh, she, that's why I said they're it. Talking about the 20, they're talking yeah. about if the 25th Amendment gets, gets invoked, 
right? Um, and and he gets 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 the house now. You get Kamala Harris. Um, but then, uh, but then they get to go down in history and say we elected or we put into power uh, the first non-white woman. You know, just like they did with this with this Katanji Jackson, whatever her name is, at the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, what a complete disaster! Well, I'll phrase it: what a complete farce. The Democrats are going to say we're the first ones to put one there. Well, when the Republicans nominated a black woman, you all voted against her, right? So don't sit there and start playing the race card and tell me that you're all you know you all care about these issues. And as for Tulsi Gabbard, one of the questions uh, uh, in there, uh, she's she's no longer really in politics. I mean, she's she's a guest appearance on Fox News now. So yeah, yeah, and and she's she's in the same bucket as um, uh, as Kennedy. Uh, she's in that that group of um, Democrats that really aren't Democrats, but they're not Republicans either. So, um, well, I'd say they are Democrats. It's just that the hard progressive wing of the Democrats took over. The same yeah, thing with the Republicans, right? There was a period of time when we heard from extremely ultra conservative rural Republicans that were in power, and most of us that sat centre right just went, "Who the hell are these nut jobs?" Right. <laughs> So that's kind of yeah, the same thing that's yeah. happening on the left at the moment in politics. Oh, and, and it's happening worldwide. The left, so the left now are, are so far left in, in the spectrum that the right of the left are, are seen to be um, where we would normally see the left be, if you know what I mean. Like it's shifted that far over mm-hmm. that the right of the left and now left, if you yeah. understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I get accused Where the right of the left and the left of the right used to overlap, there's now a divide. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that for a long time. Yeah. So. But I get accused all the time of now, these days, especially by Americans, of being a conservative. But, you know, if you actually look at the things that I talk about, Fiscal responsibility, yes, but on a lot of other things, social issues and all the rest of it, I used to be, when growing up, I used to be considered a bit of a lefty, right? And certainly I sit very left of people like Derek, right? So, but there are other issues that I might be even more on the right than he is, but that's everybody. Everybody, you can't put anybody just in this one category, right? People have differing views on different things. But for some reason, if you agree with 90% of something that the left says and 10% you don't agree with, you're a white supremacist. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, um, including, including but, me. But but in, in <laughs> politics, mate, we all know that that to get to the top of, of politics, you've got to be a narcissist. So you've you you are actually that that person. Yeah. Right. Where where 99% of everyone in the population uh, are pretty much in the middle. They pretty much are some this way, some that way. Um, the the minority groups, uh, like if you have a look at the, the the real loonies that on both sides that are running around, they're only like one or two percent of the population, if that. And I'm talking about the voting population, but because they're so small and so loud, the media is picking it up because they need to run 24-hour news cycle, and Twitter lasts for fuck less than a goldfish's memory. Right, so you've got to fill all that that space, and and that's why the fringes um, are amplified so much uh, in today's landscape. Uh, it's because it's just all about sound bites. 
It's a really good segue into the next point that we want to discuss is uh, it's clear that they will do uh, whatever to make sure that Trump doesn't win uh, too much at stakes. If he does, war, money and power. So I'd go further. I think yeah. that their lives are at stake because they've gone so extreme mm. that if Trump gets in power, you know, you know, he, he stacked the Supreme Court when he was in power. He did stack the Supreme Court. Well, he put a lot of his, sorry, he put a lot of his judges in there. Well, um, well that, that's his job. He's that, the president. That's his job. He did stack yeah. the Supreme Court. He had an opportunity <laughs> for a lot of his judges there. Okay. <laughs> Technicalities yeah. here. But my point is this, they've got so much at stake, the left, that they could be done for treason, a lot of them, in terms of what they've done, especially on the border and look, issues. I, I, and sorry, Derek, but but what, why they, they won't let him win, in my view, um, is we're, we're talking the major corporations here. I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about the real power in the US. You know, your Lockheed Martins, your Boeings, your, 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 your big corporations that survive on this, that's war. Money, your Black Rocks of the world. Power is your consulting firms, your lobbyist firms. Lobbying is a top five industry in the US. Yeah, good right? point. They, just disguise, they disguise it as consulting, hmm. right? but it's pretty much all lobbying. Those three power groups or those three groups, mate, they they would all lose if Trump gets in this time because Trump's eyes are open now. Trump yes. doesn't have an 18-month period where he's got to learn how Washington works. He's going to hit the ground running so fast, right, that that jails will be so full with all these fools um, that, that they'll be deporting him to bloody Mexico. It's interesting what he was doing with, when he was in the, uh, the White House in terms of the deals he was doing uh, in Europe and also with the Arabs um, and uh, his visit to the Queen, which, of course, the media blasted all that. Um, it's really interesting how he was stacking that uh, in his favour globally as well. Yeah, well, just, just actually, doing, doing the I deal with right. him. I'll actually go the opposite here, guys, not just to be the devil's advocate. Um, I don't think that there's going to be the, I don't think the groups in power don't want him to win. I actually think the opposite. I think they want him to win because he can become the scapegoat for, for everything. Okay. Um, he's going to be a, he's got one term. There's no chance of winning a second term. So that means that they can blame him for making even more irresponsible decisions because he wasn't up for, for re-election. Um, they can leave a devastated, dysfunctional uh, Republican party in his wake. Um, hey, it's great for ratings and it's great for stirring up conflicts around the world. So, you know, what, what happened with NATO, except for example, with Donald Trump's criticism of NATO and Donald Trump's criticism of Germany, it was absolutely correct. Laughed at it at the time, since the left office, bang, we've got a war. So yeah, I actually think it's in their interest and they're patient people. It's in their interest to actually have him there. They can blame him for everything. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, but so on the other side, NATO, the WEF, um, all those non-elected organisations based out of Europe, if you've noticed after the last, uh, probably over the last six months, they're all joining forces, mm -hmm. right? So they're all, all joining forces. They're all signing packs to get on the same bandwagon. We're now just seeing it in the media a bit now around NATO and the WEF signing the, the agreement, 
but a lot of that's all to counteract pretty much probably probably what backing up what you just said then, Shaq, is it's to counteract the Trump effect. Because they believe if they're bigger and there's more organizations as one, that he won't be able, able to do what he did by singling out the United Nations. Um, but I, I think that personally, I think it's going to go the other way. The, strong, the, the more that they try to be the one world government, unelected one world government, the more they're going to turn people off around the world and the more Trump can rally the support to knock him on the head once he gets, gets into power. Really, so, what they've got to do is is not just rely on Trump. I am so, and you've heard me talk about it before. I am so uh, livid at the IDU. Why the IDU does not have a much more active? First of all, get your thumb out your ass, okay, and don't just represent some group of like you know toffee politicians that have all gone to you know Monash University and their equivalents around the world and start actually appealing to the base. Okay, and actually, look, could you think of anything better than a group that represents centre-right political parties around the world? Okay, they have they have such an opportunity to come in and really roll up the base all over the world, and they're not doing it. So no. hopefully, Stephen Stephen Harper will do something with the IDU. I don't think so, but you know, if if they started to do that, you would start to see some real changes. Um, uh, Abbott from uh, 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 Governor of Texas. He recently made some talk, made some moves about if you're a bank and you won't loan money to Texas oil companies or to Texas companies unless they comply with some bullshit rule that you have in California, we will actually prevent you from doing business in Texas. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that. Um, but that was essentially what he did. We need to see more of that, okay? You don't get to hide behind rules and then breach rights and breach for, you know the, the free trade that we're supposed to have within a country and the more of that that we see the more of that pushback that we see the more that we're going to find people finally feel that they can actually say something because right now most people are too scared to say anything because if they do then all of a sudden oh my god what's the repercussions going to be yeah yeah so one and, thing i anyway, want to go in a minute yeah, just because we've got to wrap it up, we do have a question there. So thanks uh, to Frank for throwing this one through. Uh, what's your take on what is happening in Russia over the last few days? Smart move by Putin, or is this a threat to his rule? Oh, I've got a really strong opinion on this. So um, Putin is actually, if you look at um, at the the apparatchi above Putin, they all think that he's soft as fuck, right? Um, they all wanted to basically go in and wipe Ukraine off the face of the earth. Um, American style, go in, wipe Ukraine out in, in fucking six days. On the seventh day, have a picnic, right? Putin didn't do that. He just wanted to support the Donbass and, and then it's gone back and forth. This guy that's head of Wagner, um, he is a really nasty piece of fucking work. If he become the head of Russia... Mate, there'd be nukes and fucking chemical bombs and shit flying everywhere. So this is what most people don't, and old shit, don't understand about Russia is Putin, we think he's, he's yeah, a nasty piece of work. Well, I don't know. I, I think he's a fucking puppy dog. But it, the people behind him, and it's the same with Z, right, in China, the people behind him are fucking terrible. Pol Pot 
has nothing on what some of these generals and shit that, that Putin's got under control would do. They would wipe out fucking Europe in 30 days because they want to take control of Europe. They still haven't got over losing Eastern Germany. That's the type of people that Putin's got under control. And that's why he moved a lot. Do, do you really think they would have the ability, though, to take... I mean, Eastern Europe may be former Soviet countries, but do you really think that they could make any serious uh, encroaches onto into Western Europe territory? They just nuked the fuck out of them. Well, that, yes, but, but we've all got nukes too. We've collectively in the West got more nukes than they've got. They've got oh, more nukes than the US, but we've collectively that, got more than they have. That, that's the problem is these guys don't give a fuck about the consequences of these actions. They just want retaliation, right? They want to see the Ukraine, the Nazis in Ukraine gone, and they want to see progress back. Putin's got them under control. Z and his little cohort in China has the same group under control from wiping out Japan and wiping out fucking, you know, Korea and the rest of it. Um, so we've got to be careful that we don't unleash, you know, by the, the, the thing that we've ever done is support Ukraine, right? Ukraine never held up to any of its, um, um, uh, fucking political, um, uh, what was it that the, uh, Minsk agreements and, and all that sort of stuff that it signed, right? But they then turn around and say Russia and, and everyone else hasn't held up and they're war criminals. Well, fucking hang on a minute. You fucking started it, right? You started Stephen, it by not upholding your agreement. Stephen, just because we've been told for 15 years that the Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries on earth doesn't mean that we should just fully believe that they are absolutely magnificent right now. Come on now. You, oh, you're trying but, to tell me that you don't believe but, our, our but, politicians? You really don't believe our hang politicians? On, hang on. Hang on a minute. It's it's on colour on the ABC, so it must be true. It must be exactly. <laughs> this is it our true. You yes. sceptic, you. Great seeing you again, Stephen. Thank you very much for inviting us. Lovely to see you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks got another so we're going to wrap it up. If you do have any questions or you want to see the follow up, it will be online uh, to see all the past eighty one or eighty economic updates. Uh, just go to globalwealthclub.com uh, and sign up. There are free memberships there as well. You can see all these videos up there, or go to the YouTube channel. Um, just uh, YouTube Global Wealth Club, and they're all there. So again, Steve, you're awesome. Subscribe on YouTube for us. And then repost these on your own own social channels. Make sure you send them to your mum because you'll get a kick out of them. Okay. <laughs> We've got exactly. Shaq here all the way from wherever he came from. We've got Derek as well. Uh, ladies and gents, thanks again for coming on to the show. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks.